You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, God, God created you uh, uniquely. You think about the gifts that God has given you, uh, the abilities that God has given you, your, your own strengths. Um, many of you just possess God-given talent. And so I don't know what those are for you, but it's just what you hear people saying about you. Uh, where do people talk about you being strong? Or where do people talk about you being gifted? Well, where do people talk about uh, your ability? And so when you think just a minute about yourself in regard to how God packed your bag, God made you uniquely the way you are. For a purpose, obviously, He has a purpose for your life to make you like He made you, to equip you like He equipped you. And then when you add to that the resources that God has given you, I mean, I'm assuming that most everybody slept somewhere last night with a roof over your head. And I'm assuming most everybody ate yesterday and fully intends to eat today. I mean, those are resources. The fact that you slept on a bed last night draws a very bold line between you and much of the population of the world. You are rich. And you think about the fact that not only do you have clothes on today, but you have a change of clothes in your closet at home. And some of you are laughing, saying, I've got many changes of clothes. And the fact that you have a car, and some of us as families own three cars, and we have the ability to put gas in those cars, And so all of a sudden we're beginning to see ourselves as this person who God is uniquely gifted with talents and abilities. And we have resources. And I believe the question we have to answer this morning is why would God trust me with all of this? Why would the God of the universe trust me With all of this, at some point in our lives, we come to moments of truth. And we think in terms that obviously it's about more than just me. Obviously, this is not just about spending all of this talent and ability and gift set and resources. It's not about just spending it all on me. Obviously, God has blessed me so I can invest. Um, In in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, I want to start reading with verse 14, okay? Matthew 25, rather. I'm sorry, Matthew 25, starting with a verse. Start reading with verse 14. There is a parable that Jesus is telling. You remember what a parable is? It's a very simple story or illustration that illustrates a moral or religious principle. And so that's what Jesus does. Let me give you the words on the screen, okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Words are coming just momentarily onto the screen. In just a moment, you'll see a flash on the screen. and The words will be there when you see the flash. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to put any words on the screen today. I've changed my mind. 
So don't put any words on the screen. Oh, here's what the word of God says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. You got a man, where are you going on a journey? What are you doing with all of your stuff? I'm going to entrust it to my servants. To one he gave five talents of money. How much is a talent? To another he gave two talents. And to another he gave one talent. How much did he give to that last guy? Uh, The answer is one. Each according to his own ability. I think that has value. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Now that's the kind of guy you want managing your retirement, right? So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And so after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts. Matthew, who is writing this gospel, is an old tax collector and he pulls out an old accounting term there. The man who had received the five talents, in fact, I remember when I was uh, a kid, I remember a song and the song was, uh, the old account was settled long ago. Anybody remember it? The man who had received five talents brought the other five. The master said to him, or master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And so his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so likewise, the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you trusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. So the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And so he replied, the master did, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. These are hard words. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And these are are hard words. Let, Let me tell you something. If you keep reading, they get harder. I remember a friend of mine back a few years ago, when, when Katrina hit, there was, there was a, an unusual amount of press for a, for a hurricane. You remember? 
my, my buddy worked at a firm in Cincinnati with a guy, and his, his family lived down there on the coast. And so, to encourage their friend, they all said, why don't we, why don't we go spend a week helping out? And so six, seven guys hopped in something and headed south. And so I said, well, Jeff, what did you guys do when you were there? What, what kind of work were you involved in? And he said, well, what we actually did was we, we went into these houses that had been filled with this muddy water. And, and our job was to, to go through the house and, and take everything out of the house. The homeowners had tried to salvage anything of value, but everything was just soaked in this, in this muddy water. And so we would, we would go into a house, and we did this house after house after house, and we were just carrying out all of this muddy, soaked mess. So he said, everything is in your house. That, that's what we carried out, and we, we threw on the ground. Right out by the street. And someone was going to come and pick all of this stuff up. There wasn't any way to have dumpsters set in front of every house. You just threw it out on the ground. He said, one day I remember it was, it was so hot. And I dumped this mess of junk just into this huge pile. And he said, I was sweating and I took off my gloves and I was wiping my forehead. And as I wiped my forehead, my, my head tilted down some and... And the odor from this pile was just wretched. He said, it smelled so bad. And I'm looking into this pile of stuff, and it's stuff like curtains and furniture and a television set, a keyboard for a computer, lots of clothes. Papers that are just soaked. And he said, I'm, I'm staring at this pile of stuff. Stuff that was just piled up from the house. And, and I smelled this awful smell. And this thought came to my mind. Because he said, nothing in that pile looked to me like it had any value or it meant anything. And the thought that I had was, I wonder... I wonder if all this stuff that we pile up in our lives. I wonder if all the stuff that we accumulate. If all the stuff. That we acquire. All of that stuff that we bring into our homes. Every time we get out of our cars we bring more stuff in. He said I wondered if all the stuff that we pile up ever becomes a stench. In the nostrils of God. When you think about all that God has given you. All of your talent. All of your gifts. All of your ability. All of your resources. As, as we work through this series called Expectations, I think the question we've got to ask is what does God expect of me in regard to all of He has entrusted to me? And is there a time in my life when I begin to realize it, it's not just about me? 
I, I, I got to wonder if somebody is looking at me this morning and saying, Rick, I, I probably don't think about that enough. Or I've got to wonder if somebody is saying to me this morning, I think I pretty much just spent it all. And, and if we make more money, we just spend more. And I've got to wonder if somebody's looking at me saying, Rick, I think I'm just setting on mine. I'm a saver and I'm, and I'm just setting on it. So, so what does God expect of us? In regard to all that he has entrusted to us. I, I realize that we opened the Bible this morning that was written, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, the New Testament. And, and, and we struggle because we don't, we don't understand the, the culture. We don't understand the era. And some of you are saying, I have no idea what a talent is. And so it's hard for me to relate to the story because I don't know what that means. Is that a little bit of money? Is that a lot of money? What, what, what is that? When he says that he gave them five talents of money and two talents of money and one talent of money. It, it is a little bit hard, but, but I can tell you this, and we can relate some to, to our life today by saying that a talent was 10,000 denarius. And you're saying, I'm no closer to understanding than I was a few minutes ago because I don't know what a denarius is. According to Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, a denarius was one day's wage. So a guy says some, to some other men, if you will come and work with me out in my field today, I will pay you one denarius, which was the wage of a common day's laborer for, you know, I mean, a, a day's wage for a common laborer. And so I was trying to think about it this week, and I don't know if this helps or if it hurts or if it's close or not. But let's say there's a college student and he says to somebody, I'm really hard up. I'm needing some money. And so a farmer a few miles down the road says, send him out to my farm. He can work for me on Saturday. He can work all day and I'll pay him $12 an hour. The reason I picked a number 12 is because the math is easy. <laughs> and so that's about $100 if he works eight hours. And so it's $100 a day's wage for a common laborer today. And so if it is, what is 10,000 times 100? It's a million. And so would a talent been a million dollars in today's economy? I don't know. It's hard. You can't translate easily, but let's just say it was somewhere around there. And so the one guy gives five million, and the one guy gives two million, and the one guy gives one million. And the only question, the only concern, the only issue the master had when he returned was the question of whether or not the servants had invested what he had entrusted to them. That was it. I entrusted you with this. Did you invest it? That was all. It wasn't anymore. I got a friend named Steve Burgess who's been on like 65 or 70 mission trips. He's a very generous man. And his life is just about mission stuff. And every year he goes a few times. And he's done it for years. And he's supporting people all over the world, different places. 
And I remember Steve telling me one time when he was in South America. I, I, I don't remember the country that he was talking about right offhand, but he said, I remember being in church one Sunday morning in South America, and I wish I remembered what city and or village in what country. But he said, I, I remember I remember this preacher getting up and he was he was preaching with passion and he was talking about, you know, just just a few hours south they had been dealing with a major flood. And he said, These were poor people. And that preacher's got tears dripping off his cheeks and he says, These people have lost everything. And he stands up and he's got his finger up in the air and he says, Many of you have two shirts. I'm begging you. Send one. I don't even know how to relate to that. I, I don't even have a good response for that. I remember landing in Lima, Peru one afternoon and I got off the plane and, and got right onto a bus and we took off driving up into the Andes Mountains, 14,000 feet. We reached our destination, a little town called Ayacucho. Just a little dust bowl of a town way up into the Andes. And I remember one night going to church while I was there. And I sat down on this little handmade pew. And I'm kind of sitting there waiting for everybody else to come in. There's only a few people in the little church when I sat down. And this lady walks in, a big smile on her face, nodding at me. And I nodded back and I smiled back at her. And she reaches down to the altar of the church in the front. And to the leg of the altar, she ties the string. And the other end of the string is tied to a chicken. And I don't, I don't know why, but I wasn't calculating well. It was like there was a, a moment of confusion. And in a split second, I realized what she had done. But for a second, I didn't get it. It was something I'd never seen before. I was, I was almost like confused for a minute. I was trying to, trying to calculate. And all of a sudden, it was like a light popped on. And I thought, that's her offering. And when I read this parable, what I learned is it has nothing to do with how much you have. It has never been about how much you have. The issue has always been, do you invest what you have? That's always been the issue. You see, I, I love to compare and I love to point to other people and say, if I had what they have, then I could really do a lot of investing. I got this friend Kevin and I always give him a hard way to go. He was here not long ago on a Sunday morning and, he, and, and I asked him to sing at the end of the service. You remember that guy, big tall? Drafted to play pro baseball. He can play every sport in the world. He can sing, he can preach. He's good looking. He's, I, just, I tell Kevin, you're going to be judged much more harshly than I am. <laughs> because you have so much talent. And Jesus says...
And I go, what? And he says, it's not about that. It's never been about that. That's not the issue. That has never been the issue. Are you investing what God has entrusted to you? See, I, I, I got a feeling there's a college student looking at me saying, Rick, honestly, I don't, I don't have much. I got some clothes and I got an old car that runs on occasion. See, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I don't like, the, I don't like it when people say, you need to do this or you need to do that. I don't preach that way. I try not to. It's not my nature. And I don't like it when people put their finger in front of me and say, you need to do this. I want to say, you need to quit telling people what they need to do. <laughs> but this morning, as your pastor, I want to spur you on. And I want to tell you what you need to do. You need to figure something out. You need to figure out why in the world the God of the universe would trust you with an old car. Why would God trust you with that? How in the world are you going to honor God with that car? I mean, there are billions of people in this world who don't have a car. More than one billion. And yet God would trust you with a car that even runs on occasion? See, if you're saying, Rick, talk, talk to the people that have a lot. They're hearing me. Because I'm one of those people, I have a lot. I'm rich. I am wealthy. You might look at my finances and say, you're not wealthy. You understand to the standards of this world, I am a wealthy man. We have a room at our house just for cars. See, I'm wealthy. I'm a very wealthy man. I uh, made a decision this week. I think it was on... Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me back up. I, I remember when I was a kid, my, my, my dad was a, was a carpenter and he built houses. And, um, and he gave me a job. I think it was a sophomore in high school. And, and I, I remember being really excited about getting this check from my dad. And, uh, and I'd calculated because I knew how many hours I worked. I knew what I was making an hour. And, and I was going to have this stack of money. And, and I, remember, I remember on Friday when my dad was giving out checks. He, he pushes this check toward me. And... And when I reach for the check, he pulls it back. But, but I could tell by the look on his face it wasn't a joke. There was something, 
And, and I looked at him, and I, I, I remember just saying something to him like, what? Or, it was like something was wrong. And my dad says to me, Ricky, 10% of this has never been yours. It's God's. And I remember that look on the face. It was like, this is important. And, and I remember saying, Daddy, I, I know that. And, and you won't ever have to worry about that. That won't ever be an issue, I promise you. And he pushed the check back toward me, and I, and I took it in my hands. We, we showed up here in December, and we gave... Every Sunday morning we came together. We, we put in the offering plates our, our tithes and we gave our offerings. And, and, and obviously, a lot of people gave a lot of offerings. And, and I remember celebrating with you the first week of January that we had received more in a month than we'd ever received in the history of the church, even in a building campaign. $1,138,000 in one month. And, and we all clapped and we all celebrated. And I told you that as soon as Tim Brown that Monday morning gave me that number on the phone, immediately, immediately my heart went to a particular place. And where my heart went was, why would God trust us with this stack of money? Because it was $370,000 above what we needed to make the budget work. Why would God trust us with a stack of money? I've always asked myself, if God had a, had a truckload of money to dump on a church, would he dump it on ours? Could he trust us? And I felt like God was saying to me, I'm trusting you. And, and immediately I began to pray about what would God have us to do with this money? And, and I want to tell you, I, I have been to the mountain and I believe this morning that I have heard from God. And I believe that God is saying, I want you to invest this money in the youth of this community. And I have a very clear plan of how I want to do that and how I believe God is leading us to do that. And I'm looking forward to a Sunday morning when I get up and I just kind of unfold that plan for you. And it might take a little more money. I, did you hear the words a minute ago? You have been faithful with a few things. Then I'm going to put you in charge of many things. You, you, you were faithful with some. Now I'm going to put you in charge of more. I think I can trust you with some. Now I'm going to put you in charge of more. Work well done does not mean no more work. It means that we've earned the trust of God and he is saying, I'm going to put you in charge of more. Man, why do you think God would trust us with a stack of money? I, I decided to go to chapel at Southern Nazarene University next door. On Thursday, I, I was debating, and I had on some workout pants and a hoodie, and, and then I realized probably everybody there was going to have workout pants and a hoodie on. And <laughs> I wanted to hear Tony Campolo speak again. 
I hadn't heard him for years, but when I was in college at Trevecca Nazarene University, he came there in 1984. And I walked away the other day saying, I'm, I'm glad college students are still getting a chance to hear Ken Polo speak. He's older now, he's 78. He gets up and he says, I believe there's still hope for this nation. Because I believe this generation, and he's pointing at college students, I believe this generation has the guts to do what my generation did not have the guts to do. I believe this generation has the guts to live according to the radical teachings of Jesus. Because his teachings are radical. While serving as the... uh, Chairman of the Department of Sociology at Eastern College in Boston. He said, I remember a dad stormed in my office one day and said, Campolo, you've run my kid. I sent him here so he could get a good education, so he could get a good job, so he could have a, a good life. And all he wants to do is think about poor people and give to poor people and be an advocate for poor people. And he says to me, Campolo, I'm okay with him following Jesus to a point. And Campolo said, I wondered if he meant the point was the cross. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. He said, we spend all Christmas season shopping in malls. Hoping somebody has invented something that we can buy for somebody who doesn't need anything. And he says, I'm just looking for heroes who are willing to walk down their stairs on Christmas morning and saying, nobody in this house is getting anything for Christmas because everybody's got everything. When do we get to this point in our lives? And we start asking the questions, why has God trusted me with all of these talents and gifts and abilities and resources? You understand the only person who was punished was the person who did not invest. The only person that was punished in the parable was the person who did not invest. I I, I think you get it, but this is not not a parable for the people 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke it. This is for me. This is for you. The, The master in the story, the guy who goes on the journey, that's Jesus. The servants, the servants are you and me. The talents, That represents the gifts, the abilities, the resources that God has given us. When he comes back home, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, but I will come again. That's the second coming of Christ. All the language about settling the accounts, that is judgment day. And one day I'm going to stand before God and he's not going to ask me a whole lot of questions. But the one question he's going to ask me is, did you invest the resources that I entrusted to you. That's the question? That's the question. 
I stopped reading at verse 30. If you continue reading at verse 31, it has a bad ending for some people. Here's, here's the way it unfolds. Jesus says, now we're not talking parable. Now we're talking about reality. I'm being prophetic in this moment. I'm talking about the future. The Son of Man will come in all of His glory with His angels. And He will sit on His throne. And He will gather all the nations of the earth together. And He will divide them to the right and to the left like a shepherd would divide his sheep from his goats. And to those on His right He will say, You have been blessed by the Father. Enter into your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. But to those on the left, he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Depart into everlasting punishment. Why would you say that to them? Why would you tell us that? And Jesus says, because I was hungry and you weren't concerned about the fact that I was hungry. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you refused to take me in. I needed clothes and you didn't give me clothes. I was sick and I was in prison and you didn't care for me. And Jesus said, people are going to say, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? And when did we see you a stranger? And when did we see you needing clothes? And when did we see you sick and in prison? Jesus says, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. The question on Judgment Day is did you invest? We, we have bought so in to this upward mobile way of thinking that, that there are people that I meet every day who are just overextended. I'd like to give, I'd like to invest, but God knows if I just keep all the bills paid, I've done really well. Let me, let, me just, let me just in closing mention an opportunity that we have for you. And I think this is a valuable opportunity for you to consider. Um, this is a picture that I'm going to put on the screen right here of Peter and Brittany and Hannah Bergman. And this is a special day when you see this picture. On this particular day, Brittany and Peter became debt-free at a pretty young age. Peter says, we took the financial peace class at Bethany First Church in 2007 after we got engaged. Listen to this. He says, we actually had to miss one week of class for our wedding. We thought it would be a good idea to begin our marriage on good financial footing. And so, through financial peace, we were given tools and information to help us get rid of debt and put us in a strong financial position. Not just for us, though, but for our future family because we wanted to have kids. And that's Hannah there in the middle. We developed a budget, an emergency fund, and we had paid most of our smaller debts off. However, slowly over time, we were not as diligent with our plan as we had been when we started. So we got to the point one day where I had to borrow a couple hundred bucks from my parents to keep 
from getting overdrafts on our checking account. On that day, Brittany and I decided never again would we put ourselves in that position. I mean, I get excited when I think about young people thinking like this. We got back on our plan and we followed our budget. So we've survived and even thrived through events and times in our lives where previously I might have been devastated financially. And Brittany was even able to change her schedule and start working only part-time so she could be at home more because of the financial decisions we made. Listen to this. We paid off our last debt last year, and we are currently debt-free. I always look forward to this freedom I would have get it when it happened, but I have gotten another kind of freedom that I didn't even think about. The freedom to give. The freedom to be a blessing. We have added a gift envelope to our budget. So we know we have a certain amount each month that we've already planned to give away. I mean, these kids, they're young. We must continue to be diligent, he says, and smart with what we have been given so that we can continue to be generous and be a blessing to others. And I got a feeling when there's some of the people in this room, some of you are hearing this thinking, oh, Rick, you don't know my heart. You don't know how much I wish I could be in a position like that. And so that's why we offer a tool like Financial Peace here at Bethany First Church. In fact, it starts this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. There's people in the foyer this morning who will be glad to talk to you more about it. I, I would say to you, this is not for people who are just bent over backwards financially. A few years ago, Annette and I went through financial peace because we wanted to be able to give more. We wanted to be able to get in a better financial situation to honor God with our lives. Well, maybe we can learn something from these principles. And so we went through it for that reason. It's something that I just want to make you aware of today. And it starts this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Let me take a moment and ask God to bless you. Harlan's going to come and we're going to sing together. Father, your word is so powerful. It is so clear. It speaks so clearly to our hearts. What do you expect from me, God? And that's the question we've been trying to ask, Lord. So when it comes to our talents and our gifts and our abilities and our resources, what do you expect? Speak to us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.